What is up, Bruins fans? A very special episode today as I am welcoming Justin Bourne to the podcast to discuss a whole bunch of things. So let's get right into it. You're Locked On Bruins, your daily podcast on the Boston Bruins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, Bruins fans? It is Monday. Uh, Monday, man, I don't even know what day it is. It is Thursday, November 18th, and uh, this is another episode of Locked On Boston Bruins, where we discuss all things spoke to be, as well as take a look around the NHL. Thank you for making Locked On Boston Bruins your first listen every day. We are available on all podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube, so please subscribe. Uh, whatever app you use uh, would be greatly appreciated. Quick reminder to follow along at Locked NHL Bruins on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find me, my dad jokes, and hockey tweets at Ian C. McLaren. Very uh, happy to welcome today's guest to the podcast. Uh, before uh, I introduce him, let's just uh, bring him on. So yeah, Justin Bourne, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. For those of you who might not know Justin, he's a, an NHL analyst for Sportsnet. He's uh, currently co-host of a Fan 590 show with with Nick Kiprios, and uh, he also played at the NCAA level, ECHL, AHL. <clears throat> he's written for um, the Score, where where we work together, the Athletic. I uh, also was a Leafs AHL video coach for a couple of seasons. So, yeah, very happy to have Justin on the podcast uh, here today. And, yeah, how's it going today, Justin? Thanks for taking some time. Yeah, no, it's great. You know, I'm like you. I've got uh, a couple of little ones. This is the best time of the day. Uh, the, the kids are where they're supposed to be. The house is empty. This is the perfect time to chat. Exactly, yeah. we. I have one who is home right now, uh, feeling a little under the weather. So, hopefully uh, – He's kept occupied with a little Fortnite right now. Um, good, good. So, yeah, I'd like to ask people when they come on the podcast kind of their hockey origin stories. I'm sure a lot of people are already somewhat familiar with yours. You have a, a pretty unique one. Uh, for those who don't know, how did you get into the game of hockey? Pretty naturally, yeah. I, I, I know. Yeah, no, it is a it is a unique one. Uh, my dad played for the New York Islanders and the Los Angeles Kings, so grew grew up in a hockey household. Um, and you know, it's just sort of a part of your life at that point. It's funny. Cause like, I didn't actually start playing hockey until I was a little bit older. My dad retired in, uh, 88. I was born in 82. So, um, you know, we went up to Kelowna, BC. And so I probably started playing organized hockey, you know, like at seven or something like that. But like, uh, it, it's at that point, I've had seven years of just immersion in constant <laughs> hockey and hockey culture and Islanders, uh, you know, my room's all blue and orange and, I don't know, the King stuff never quite stuck. 12 years oh, yeah. the Islanders. That yeah, it's interesting. The Islanders stuff, so easy to become an Islanders fan and to, to launch a, launch off into hockey from there. Yeah, and then uh, so you, you played a bit up in Alaska, ECHL, AHL. I believe yeah. you attended a, an Islanders training camp as well. Yeah, Just talk so, a bit about that experience. For- yeah, it was cool. Like the I wasn't a great player growing up. I, I could always score, but I wasn't like particularly big or wasn't a great <laughs> skater. 
And then like at 14 or 15, you know, you hear about those people like grow six inches in like a year. I, I had one of those things happen. And because I could always score and suddenly I was now a bigger guy, people were like, hey, that's an interesting player. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I played for the Vernon Vipers. We won a BCHL championship. And, uh, you know, I was uh, one of our, our top scorers there. And that was enough to get a college scholarship. And that was all I ever wanted to do with hockey. Um, you know, my parents separated when I was fairly young. Um, and so it was just my mom kind of taking me around, you know, those morning practices. I was like, I, I'll just, I'll get a college scholarship. I'll make this work worth your while, mom, you know, and, um, was a really proud. That's probably my defining moment of my career is getting my college education paid for. Um, and then, and then from there, it was kind of like anything after that was gravy. Cause I had no expectations of, of being able to play. Um, you know, once I got to college, it's like, you're somewhere for four years, like you have mm -hmm. real time to focus on yourself and go to the gym and really work on your shortcomings. So I had time to really focus on hockey, which I'll admit I didn't do much when I was younger. And all of a sudden I, I got good and ended up leading that team and scoring and having more opportunities. And yeah, the, the NHL thing, you know, obviously I think people see my name and see the Islanders thing and kind of roll their eyes at the connection there. And it's fair that they do that. You know, I, I didn't have 10 NHL opportunities uh, waiting at my door, but I did have opportunities with NHL teams, but they all started the American League level. So the mm, Islanders included right. the main camp. Um, and for me, I, you know, I'd be dumb to not say, you know, I, this is my best opportunity to, to get seen. So I went and had a really good camp, played in their system that year, and I spent most of the year in the ECHL, made the all-star team there. And then the American League, I spent about three months, but I only got in 16 games. Because, mm. you know, it's, I was 24 I'm not a prospect at 24 in the American League, you know? so I got some shifts with, you know, Kyle Opozo, Jeremy Colleton, now, oh, you know, cool. now a coach. You know, we had some good players on that team, and I, they were great times, but I don't think anyone ever looked at me as a, a legitimate NHL hopeful, so I made the most of it well, well I could. Very cool. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned being 24 in the AHL because the, the Bruins obviously had a – some first round picks back in 2015. Those guys are 24 now and, and Zach Sinitian still kind of down in the AHL. It doesn't look like he's going to, uh, to pan out, but yeah, it's a, or a source of <laughs> consternation among the Bruins fan base for sure. But yeah, who knows? No, you never I mean, know. That's, that's gotta be one of the most memorable moments in draft history was the Bruins three picks in a row there. And, <sighs> you know, it's unbelievable that they have been as, as, as good as they have, I guess it's not unbelievable, but the Bruins have been so good. And every year that team that's like this close to winning another cup. And it's like, I know you guys know that this is the wrong podcast to even make that point. <laughs> yeah. Like if it had been a little different, one player different. I know. I know. Yeah. I think about that draft <laughs> way too much. <laughs> I remember I, I was, um, I was still at the score when that draft day happened and the whole team comes in on that day and everybody's covering it. And I remember uh, they pulled off the tray for or traded Dougie Hamilton to Calgary as I was driving in that day. And then yeah. I'm like, oh, wow, they have they're they're well set up here. And then Jacobs Borrell, you know, he wasn't that much of a reach. Uh, he was, you know, kind of rated somewhere in there. Then Jake DeBrusque, I was like, oh, OK, um, that. And then Sinitian, I was like, oh, what are we doing here? There's that. <laughs> obviously, that. Uh, that famous tweet now where the, the Bruins could have had Matt Barzell, who Connor, you're Barzell familiar with. And and Shillington, right? I know the two and Shillington, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it looked like two out of three hit, but 
Shillington hadn't really made it until this season. He's playing really well. He's leading the Flames in scoring. Calgary, yeah. Shot attempts, chances, you name it. (sighs) Anyways. (laughs) But you know what? He gets played by Chris Tanev. A lot of people look good when they play by Tanev. Maybe he's That is true. Uh, I'm just trying to help out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Before we get into some more Bruins uh, stuff, just want to talk for a moment about Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action this season. They have a new... A uh, mobile site, a new desktop site that you can sign up for today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit by using promo code Locked On. Uh, from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, they have you covered for all sports this season as well as your favorite Vegas casino games. So uh, jump on there, use promo code Locked On, get that 50% welcome bonus at Bet Online where the game starts. So with that bit of business out of the way, let's um, just talk for a second about from what I know about you uh, in terms of NHL analysis, I think you have a pretty good balance between like the numbers and the eye test. Uh, Take a fairly balanced approach that way. For me this season, the Bruins, uh, I've always been, I've been talking a lot about how their underlying numbers are pretty strong. They're a top five team, shot attempt differential, expected goals their shooting percentage five on five is pretty low which is keeping them down mm-hmm. a bit um my question is and we're looking at any team is it as simple as looking at those numbers and saying things are going to get better or is it uh, important to look at like all the new faces on the Bruins, uh, yeah. new goaltenders, uh, like struggles on defense, all that kind of stuff. How, how do you kind of approach in general looking at a team's success with their expected success or, or things like that? Yeah, yeah. No, it's – I would say that's that question is like the crux of where we're at with hockey analysis is like yeah. how much weight are we giving – analytics how much weight are we giving opinions which are still valid i you know i feel unfortunately over the past five years with the rise in analytics people and fans in particular have got the vibe like your opinion doesn't matter Mm -hmm. because look at the numbers right and it's like it's that's not true we've gone way too far in that direction so you know the analytics working internally with the uh, toronto maple leafs team so i was with the marlies as their video coach we would get a package every day or, you know, close to of the t- our team's internal stats. And a lot of that's like retrieval numbers for a D-man. How many times they go back to retrieve a dump mm-hmm. in and actually turn it into a breakout versus a turnover? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, whether it's entries or exits or all the different things you can look at. And, you know, the only thing you're really looking for in those, those packages are outliers. Like guys who are really good mm-hmm. or really bad. Because yeah. in that middle <laughs> 80%, Right, like there's right. so many, such a variety of factors that have a, an effect on it, whether it's the guys you're playing with, the type of players you line up with, you know, where you get put on the ice, it, you know, just health and all, you know, the opportunity, all these different things that go into the numbers that, you know, I think we have this uh, internal desire to have what baseball has with war, mm, where they say right. we put all these stats into a big thing and we stir it together and <laughs> out pops it, we bake a number and say this guy's worth this much. So hard to do in hockey. Right. There's just so many factors. There's not the stop and start. So, you know, I think the numbers are super useful and I use them a ton. I check them all the time, but I check them to point me in the direction of things to watch. 
Mm. You know, like yesterday I wrote an article on David Camp for the, the Leafs mm, and his right. defensive play. You know, part of the reason I end up looking at him is because, you know, go to his ozone starts. Um, he started in the offensive zone 15 times through 17 games, least in the NHL among guys who play with any consistency. Right. Wow. And still a positive possession driver. So it's like, okay, this is a, there's something here. Let's watch mm-hmm. what he does. Let's go to his video. So like the Bruins having good underlying numbers is awesome. Pointing in the right direction. They're more likely to, to improve than they are to go in the other direction. I think right. you love that. But I don't think you can look at those numbers and say, you know, they're definitely going to get better. I know uh, like two weeks ago, I looked at the Seattle Kraken's number and after they got uh, Yanni Gord back, right. they were like top five possession team chances, everything. And I was like, I'm going to bet on this team every night. They've been garbage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you got to be a little careful at a point in the right direction, but it doesn't tell you, tell you everything. Yeah, for sure. I just, uh, funny you mentioned that. I just tweeted out this morning that the, yeah, Seattle, 4-11-1, and one, both the worst and uh, best starts in franchise history. For, uh, for... <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're a really weird team. A lot of people, Bruins, were, you know, disappointed to lose a guy like Jeremy Lozon to the, to the Kraken. Um, yeah, I don't know if he's really helped to tilt things either way. We've I've seen him in love with our own guys, man. Yeah. Like, you know, if it's a guy you followed and you see their potential and you see their good games, you fall in love with them. And it's like, I hate to say this, but like every team has that guy. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. like he's not, is he a, new, a needle mover? And that was it. You know, the Leafs lost Jared McCann and that trade. And there's right. a lot of consternation in, in Leafs nation over that losing McCann. It's like, you gotta lose someone, you know? Exactly. Know. Uh, funny you mentioned uh, David Camp. I think, a big, uh, a big talking point for the Bruins this offseason was letting Nick Ritchie and Andre Kasha kind of walk. They were both scooped up by the uh, by the Leafs. Ritchie, kind of what we expected. I don't. I never really saw him hanging on the top line there in Toronto. But Kasha has been uh, been really impressive. The question with him is always like whether he can stay healthy. Has he been helping uh, Camp kind of drive that success in your? Uh, yeah. In your view, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I guess I'm curious what Boston saw that they didn't think Kasha was worth it, and it could be just the health concerns. Like, yeah. there's so Kasha's been wonderful. He's mm-hmm. been at his cap hit. He has been a uh, noticeable workhorse. Like, he takes it to the net. He's, you know, he's in the corners. He has some offensive upside. He'll, you know, block shots. But players who play like that tend to get hurt. And we know he has a history of it. So yeah. Yeah. talk about him all you like. If the Bruins just thought that there's no chance this guy's available to us in playoffs, they might be right. So, yeah. you know, I guess they kind of, that's like a risk reward thing where the Leafs are getting a lot of reward right now, but they're, they're trying to get over the hump in playoffs and maybe they don't have him in playoffs. So I guess fingers crossed for, for, for yeah. the Leafs there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, just watching him, there was definitely questions whether or not he would, he should attempt to play again just after watching him with the Bruins every time he tried to come back he'd last a couple of shifts and then he was out again. So yeah, I'm super happy for him that he's, that he's yeah. thriving in Toronto and, and hopefully he can stay healthy. Yeah. Looking at the Atlantic, I kind of saw it as kind of a two tier division heading into this season. I know you and I kind of joked about, uh, you know, some prognostications, maybe suggesting Montreal and Ottawa would be pretty good. Uh, Boston out of the playoffs, but I kind of see it. Yeah, the top four teams are what they are. The bottom four teams are what they are. Has there been any surprises or disappointments for you in the Atlantic so far this season, or is it kind of playing out the way you the way you thought it would? 
Uh, you know, I guess among the teams that are going to be the bottom teams, uh, things have gone differently than I expected. Like, uh, I didn't think De- Detroit has, you know, of the teams that are rebuilding, I can look at Detroit and be like, boy, mm-hmm. most Siders a player. And, like, yeah. Lucas Raymond is scoring at a rate, like, as a rookie that, like, some of the best players have scored at. He's legit. That guy is so good. For sure. So Detroit's had success. You like I like their work ethic and, you know, how they've been so far. Ottawa was a team that I think, you know, watching in the Canadian division last year, a lot of people went, boy, you know, this is a team on a rise, on the rise. They're pesky. Obviously things have not gone Ottawa's way, but I thought they'd be better than terrible. They are not better than terrible. It turns out. I also thought the Sabres might not win a hockey game this year. So they've been a surprise. (laughs) I guess a positive direction. So, you know, the, the bottom teams of the way it's panned out for them, you know, and obviously Montreal, I don't even need to mention, I didn't think they would be nearly this bad. So Mm -hmm. some surprise about how those teams have played out. Yeah, for sure. And then among the top four, it's kind of, yeah, Florida, Tampa, Toronto, Boston, um yeah i mean those look to be it's it's interesting because the metros seems pretty strong right now so the only question i guess is whether there will be five metro teams and three atlantic teams or uh that appearance here ours is jumping around too um (laughs) yeah do you think uh yeah i don't know i hate this playoff system because we know that two of these Atlantic teams potentially will be out in the first round. Are you a fan of this current playoff system or? You know, I, I would like to see the conferences just go to, you know, sort of a one to eight format straight up. Um, I don't, I don't really know. You know, one to 16 for all playoff teams might be a little bit intense. So yeah. um, Yeah. It's unfortunate, but you know, that's the thing with a league with so much parity is like, everyone's pretty good. No one's amazing. So it's kind of inevitable. It's going to happen. You have to have a little bit of luck. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, it's something Leaf fans complain about every year when someone knocks <laughs> them out in the first round, namely the Boston Bruins. By the way, I was going to say before, um, while I'm here because I do have a Maple Leaf show, I, I got to ask, what is Nick Ritchie? What am I missing? This guy, is, uh, I mean, he has not done a thing through 17 yeah. games for the Maple Leafs. I mean, yeah, when he was acquired by the Bruins – he really came in like looking to be a banger and uh, he tried, he dropped the gloves a lot. He took a very terrible penalty in the series against the lightning that kind of really sunk them last year. He found some success early on, on the power play. And that's kind of what boosted his numbers. But uh, I don't know. He seems like a likable guy for sure, but yeah, no, and that's, I don't know. He's a good dude, but like yeah. making 2.5 million times two years in yeah. Toronto, the, the magnifying glass is strong. And you're yep. playing with Matthews and Marner. I think he was got like an assist or maybe two. Yeah. Like he, yeah, crazy. he, he was up there with, before they traded for Taylor Hall last season, he was in the top six, got off to a decent start. But uh, yeah, by the end of last season, he was, fourth line struggling to get into the lineup so yeah. uh yeah i don't know all right <laughs> i don't know what they i'm not sure what uh what they saw in him to i mean i could see yeah taking a flyer on him like Sue, like a caution but two, two years seemed like a, a bit of a bit of a yeah. leap for sure um speaking of taylor hall i was pretty pumped when they acquired him and uh i know a lot of bruins media were kind of skeptical based on his track record uh he he had a good start last season not too hot this year but what's your overall take uh, on taylor hall now that he's been in the league for yeah almost 12 years now just turned 30 yeah. do you think uh he's still you know 
an elite level winger that can that can uh, drive play. Not necessarily a guy that you might build your team around at this point, but certainly a, a star player, I would think. I just I wanted him to play with David Krejci. So uh, I wanted. Yes, you know, like I, I really felt like he had been going from place to place to place where he wasn't supported in a way that he always had to drive the line, carry the mail, whatever expression you want to use, where it was incumbent on him to create the offense. And not that, you know, he still wouldn't have been maybe the primary offense creator or the more dynamic of him and Krejci. I don't know, but Krejci is just so good and steady and reliable. I think it would have freed Hall up to do some of the things that, you know, he might've been more comfortable doing. And so, you know, when you lose Krejci, I feel like you don't just lose Krejci, you lose like a bit of Hall's effectiveness too. So, you know, he's kind of right back to a position where he's got to be on that line. You're not going to mess mm-hmm. with the, the big boys there. And yeah, no, I, I, I like him as a creator. I definitely don't feel like he's a guy. I feel like he is who Phil Kessel was to the Pittsburgh Penguins during mm-hmm. their Stanley Cup runs is like, okay, you got a winger who can create, be dynamic. There will be moments where he could blow a game open. Mm-hmm. You know, when you need it most and that has real value. Uh, I don't know how often you're going to get it. I don't, you know, you don't want him to be number one guy, but I, I still like Hall and think he's effective. I just wanted him to have a little bit more support than, you know, yeah. get without Krejci. Yeah. I mean, all, all the respect in the world for Krejci for, for making that decision, prioritizing family. Sure. But uh, yeah, every night it, it hurts. Not, uh, but not also curse him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was interesting that Hall did say that he made the decision uh, you know, apart from Krejci's decision. So he definitely wanted to be there, but I'm sure he would have, uh, he would have liked that. Um, a couple more before I let you go. Um, Brad Marchand, his career trajectory just continues to to blow me away. He's, if you look at the last handful of seasons, he's top five scoring after starting off as like a fourth line guy, suspensions, 30 plays. Is there any, comparable to his career trajectory uh, do you think he in my mind he's an mvp finalist this year so far do you uh do you see him as that kind of guy yeah i mean i have i didn't vote last year but i had to vote the six previous seasons and i had him on my ballot numerous mm-hmm. times uh, you know he's it is truly unbelievable to you know considering how people thought of him earlier in his career uh and the way he was used and the way he operated to the effect of effectiveness he brings so often like i mean it's different because there's nothing he does where you're like oh he's the fastest in the league Mm. the biggest in the league the hardest shot in the league like he is just so cerebral you know which i don't think he gets enough credit for like he he just reads the game and the way it develops so well and um you know such an ability to finish and see guys and make the right play on top of the the edge that he can bring when he's not uh, doing those things. It's funny. We talk about underrated guys all the time and you're never, no one ever wants to give Marchand, Marchand that credit. No mm-hmm. one wants to ever give him, give him that shine. Um, you know, you always hear stuff like is Barkov underrated. It's like, no, have <laughs> no. you ever heard anyone say that he's yeah, not yeah, underrated? Yeah. Like we all know how, how good yeah. he is, you know, like, and suddenly, you know, because I think Pasternak gets a lot of love, mm-hmm. you know, being so dynamic and Bergeron, Hall, you know, Insta Hall of Famer the second he decides to pack it in. Yeah. Like Brad Marchand's a Hall of Famer too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's just in the shadow of a pretty good player there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hopefully, uh, hopefully the Olympics can go on. And I think that, uh, you know, Marchand and Bergeron should be locks, uh, locks for Team Canada for sure in my mind. Oh, yeah. 
before I let you go, uh, I like to ask people kind of what they're uh, what they're into these days off the ice. I know you're probably watching hockey every night, but I know that you're also uh, yeah you have other interests, stand mm-hmm. like stand up specials. I know and stuff like that. Is there anything that that you're uh, consuming apart from hockey these days that uh, people should check out? Yeah, you know, that that's actually a really great question. So because I watch, I have to watch, first of all, I have to watch Leafs games, like yeah. Bruins. Yeah. But like, you know, we I also have to tell, you know, watch around the NHL. So I do watch hockey most nights, but when I do need to turn it off, I've uh, developed a fascination with, I don't think because I'm a hockey guy, I sometimes think people think I'm a dumb jock. So I have a fascination <laughs> with reading like the classics. So I just read uh, oh, nice. all of uh, Charles Dickens, uh, oh, wow. you know, four, three, three of his books. Um, and then someone turned me on to Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy, which is extremely violent oh, wow. uh, for a book, and uh, but but a really cool read. So I'm just you know I'm trying to balance out hockey with um, you know reading a little bit and yep. trying to have a a fuller personality than just just <laughs> hockey. It's yeah, tough, yeah. but you know on top of having two kids and the requirements for hockey it genuinely is tough to do anything outside of the house I watch the odd show ted lasso just because i want to yeah. keep up with the pop culture discourse yeah, yeah. but otherwise you know books yeah <laughs> yeah ted lasso is is pretty much a must watch for anybody yes. in my opinion it's probably yeah top three top three current show for me right now along with uh probably succession and uh and Yellowstone. I don't know if you've checked. Yeah, that yeah. So we, I did season one of Yellowstone with my wife, but I couldn't. I, honestly, she was like, "I want to watch more," and I just like don't have the nights to give to it. But <laughs> yeah. Ted Lasso for me is like a good uh, put it on and like actually enjoy my forty five minutes or whatever it is. And yeah. that's rare in television. Like a lot of you get a lot of anxiety watching some of these shows and just stress and drama. And yeah, I don't yeah, need yeah. more of that in my life. So it's nice to have Ted Lasso on very minute issues. Yeah. Curb Curb is like that for me too. We've been watching that still. And that uh See, Curb stresses me out. There's too much arguing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I just I can't get enough of him. It's hilarious. Uh anyways, Justin, I can't thank you enough for taking some time to to chat today. Um, where can people find you on Twitter? Where can people find your your hockey coverage? these days yeah so at jt born on twitter and uh, i do have an author page on sportsnet.ca uh i don't know the exact link for that but it's uh through my uh my twitter bio should be there and then uh, real kipper and born is three to five every day on sportsnet 590 the fan i gotta ask just before we go what's it what's it like working with uh with kipper yeah i will say so we didn't know each other before we started the show and i had i was a little intimidated and nervous and you know he's a big personality right (laughs) so i the the greatest thing I can say is that uh, he has respected me and my opinion from the start. I think I, you know, he probably thinks I'm some analytics twerp or whatever, <laughs> but um, he's been really awesome to work with. Like genuinely when we're off the air, um, he's been kind and, uh, you know, inclusive me and uh, Sam McKee, you know, he, he was a sportsman 20 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guys on hockey night in Canada forever. So, you know, that he's embraced our show and trying to do something, you know, where, where, you know, we're not big names necessarily. It's been been awesome, great experience so far. Perfect. Well, yeah, thanks again, Justin, and hopefully we can connect again uh, down the road. Yeah, man, anytime. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much for, uh, for tuning in, friends, and we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Locked On Boston Bruins to tee up some finally uh, the Bruins back in action this weekend after another long break. So, yeah, have a good one and uh, talk to you tomorrow.